This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 22nd of March 2021. And where are you joining us from today, Norman? I Look, I don't have my quokka socks on, but the quokkas are just across the water there. I'm on Rotnest. Are you on Rotnest or are you off the waters of Rotnest? I'm on the waters of Rotnest, on a boat, doing Coronacast. Isn't that amazing? Living the dream. <laughs> well, we're really lucky in Australia that we are able to travel without sort of fear of border closures as much as we were maybe a couple of months ago. Uh, Of course, it's not the case in many parts of the world. They're still grappling with huge case numbers and variants. And um, even though millions of vaccines are being rolled out all over the world, especially in places like the UK and Europe and the United States, because of the scale of the pandemic there, they're still in catch-up mode. And so I guess the question is, as long as there's a problem with coronavirus somewhere in the world, Even though we're protected here in Australia, it's still a problem for us if we ever want to rejoin our global neighbours. Yeah, and allowing people back in much more freely than we do. So this goes to various issues. One is how vulnerable we are as a community should COVID-19 come in. So there is already um, significant lobbying going on about that we should open up and open up soon now that we're starting to vaccinate and by soon end of October, that sort of thing, because people, you know, the government has promised first vaccine doses to everybody who wants them by October. We'll deal with that in another edition of CoronaCast, but that's that's questionable that we're going to get there. The second strategy is, well, we'll have aged care immunised, older people with comorbidities immunised, Aboriginal people immunised, so vulnerable communities immunised. Therefore, what's the problem with opening up? So let's just look at that aspect of it for a moment. Well, the problem with opening up is that the people who will get infected are younger people. And whilst they are less at risk of serious disease, when you've got large numbers of them being infected, significant numbers do get very sick and some do die. And many do get long COVID. So it's not enough to say that we've covered the really vulnerable because everybody's vulnerable to some extent. So that's the first thing about whether or not our current vaccine strategy will get us there. The second issue is what's happening overseas with variants. So the what's now called the Kent variant, which is the B117, has taken over in Britain and it's taking over in Europe and it's responsible for this third wave. So they, they, they were lulled into a kind of false sense of security as the roller coaster died down, but that was really the old Wuhan version of the virus dying, dying down. But while that was happening, the B117 was taking over and that's that's moved in. The other issue is that the South African variant is now spreading. So you've got 5 to 10% of infections in France, reportedly, being of the South African variant. And that's going to reduce the effectiveness of vaccines. And we're still not sure about the Brazilian variant, although it may be more benign than we think. So the variants are an issue because are we covered in Australia for the variants? And if the data on Astra is right, then it's really not very effective. But that's only on a small study. It could be far more effective than we think. And it's still not absolutely certain that it is effective against severe disease to the South African variant, although it seems likely. So the question then is, do we open up, first of all, before we are fully vaccinated, And when are we going to be doing that? And how vaccine hesitant are we going to be? And are we sufficiently vaccinated against variants? But as long as Europe and the UK and other places where the vaccine, where the virus is running rampant are playing catch up, then there's still the opportunity for more variants to emerge 
that we might not have vaccine coverage for. So the the longer they're in catch-up mode, the more opportunities there are for the virus to continue to mutate and throw up more question marks. Yes, you've got to get the vaccine out incredibly quickly, incredibly widely, so that the, the mutants of the virus that might be resistant to the vaccine don't get a chance to survive, in a sense. So you're absolutely right. Fast furious and widespread is what you've got to get done. And, and it's got to happen in low-income countries too. We've just got to get the worldwide burden of mutating COVID-19 virus down. And we're so lucky in Australia, as we keep saying, and I just want to acknowledge that um, we're, we're speaking from such a position of privilege, but Jackie makes the point that there are a lot of mixed messages around. Brendan Murphy saying uh, he's hoping for international travel in 2022, and Alan Joyce says book for October 2021, which you just said before, Norman, and Jackie's asking, no wonder everyone's confused, who should we listen to? It's going to be a strong debate, and I suspect that debate will be led by the states, and they will be pushing back on the federal government, I suspect. I mean, if you just remember the conflict in rhetoric between an argument between the states and the federal government, the federal government said elimination was impossible. Well, we've got elimination in Australia, effectively. Uh, We've still got virus coming in, but by and large, we've kept it in check. So there's almost no virus around in Australia beyond hotels. So that's a great place to be. But it's not what the Commonwealth was aiming for. It's what the states were aiming for. And the states are going to be pushing back strongly against the Commonwealth government if they feel vulnerable with international borders opening up more widely. Now, we could be insisting on immunisation before people get in, and it would have to be immunisation with a pretty potent vaccine. There are all sorts of issues there, but there are way, there is a pathway to opening up much more safely than we've got at the moment. But they're not talking about that. They're talking about us being protected first. But we could also be protected by the people coming in. So there's a lot of debate coming. And to, to Jackie, it's a good question, Jackie. And um, I would stick with the consensus, I suspect, from the states here who are going to be very cautious as to what the dismount strategy is going to be. How do we get off this charging horse of the COVID-19 pandemic back to some sense of normality. And there will be ha- will have to be some acceptance of risk. It's just how much is going to be the big question. Well, while we're talking about risk and the UK and, the, and Europe and vaccines, let's just close the loop on the stuff around the AstraZeneca vaccine, which we talked about at the end of last week, before the official findings from um, the European agency had been handed down. And they found that, well, the countries that had suspended the rollout of the Astra vaccine over concerns about blood clots in people who'd received them uh, have announced that they're going to restart again. Yeah. So the, the report came out and they said it was safe that the clots they believed were not linked to the vaccine and that the clotting risk was lower than the average clotting risk per annum in the population. Um, They did not totally discount this issue of cerebral vein thrombosis in the presence of low platelet counts, um, and they say they're going to do more work on that. In a sense, we are fortunate in Australia that uh, it's going to be a while before we get to, and it's largely in women, Uh, that the problem, if it does exist, exists. Remember, it's very rare. It's maybe one in 800,000 doses or one in a million doses, depending on how you calculate it. So this is extremely rare. And it's at the sort of level of severe side effects that you may get, if any, from other vaccines. Um, So, and and we we accept that sort of risk already in many situations. They're going ahead in Europe because... There's no question that if you are susceptible to blood clots, you are much more susceptible to serious COVID-19 disease than you are to blood clots from the vaccine itself. 
The issue here is women who are healthcare workers in 1A and 1B and uh, who are under 55. And uh, your prudence would say, well, maybe just play safe and have the Pfizer vaccine. But even if you have the Astra, the risk is low. But the situation is still not crystal clear. There's still a watching brief on this. And it's going to be difficult for GPs to give informed consent to women under 55. But we really do need to get on with this. And anybody who's not in that category, that category should just get on and get immunized with the Astra or Pfizer. Um, and then women under 55, by the time the general population of women under 55 need to get the Astra vaccine, this should be a much clearer story. And it's pretty clear at the moment that even if it's real, real it's incredibly rare. And it's not clear what the, what the risk factors would be. And there are a lot of people in hematology saying they cannot see a clear biological reason why you have this risk, but there are others saying, well, they can see that. So it's still being debated, but it should get sorted out, I would have thought, over the next few weeks. We're getting a few questions from our audience from healthcare workers who are female and under 55. MG and Felicity have both written in saying that they're they're being offered vaccines because they're working in healthcare. MG says that she can't choose which vaccine she's uh, she's going to get, and if she's assigned AstraZeneca on the day and refuses it, she can't rebook. So should she hold off getting any vaccine at all? And she's asking, does being on the pill increase the risk of cerebral clots? So the pill is an increased risk. So you, if you're on the pill, there is an increased risk of clots, and it far exceeds, it exceeds the risk of, if it's true with this vaccine, it exceeds the risk of the vaccine. The, whether the pill adds to the risk from the vaccine is, is very unclear. And it's one of the things that really needs to be sorted out. And it may be that where you get to is a much clearer picture of, is this a real link? If it's a real link, and then it just may be what's called a relative contraindication that, you know, I'm just saying may, 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 I'm not saying this is the case, where women on the pill, maybe, maybe, are, or with a history of clots, should have the Pfizer vaccine. But by the way, just as a word of warning, just think Pfizer's the answer for everything, we still don't have, have as much data on Pfizer and Moderna as we would like. And it could turn out that they've got issues too. We know they, they reduce platelets. Astra reduces platelets. A lot of vaccines reduce platelets. So th- there is a general effect here of vaccines on platelets. And, and, and it may well turn out in the next few weeks. This this just turns out to be nothing at all. So I would just hang in there for a bit. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. If you've got a question or a comment, please go to our website, abc.net.au slash coronacast. Click on Ask a Question and mention Coronacast on the way through and we'll pick it up. And of course, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, but we'll see you tomorrow. We will indeed. Indeed.